Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Father Andrew Mattingly. I am a Catholic priest in Kansas City, Missouri, and this is a podcast where I post homilies and random other stuff that I might teach or speak about. Hope you find something useful and maybe even inspiring. God bless you. Today I feel like there's about 10 million things that I would like to talk about (laughs) on this great feast of Corpus Christi. Um, I'll limit myself though to drawing your attention to one of the titles for the Eucharist that we use. There are many titles and phrases that we use to refer to this greatest of all the sacraments. Call it the Blessed Sacrament, the Most Blessed Sacrament, the Holy Sacrament, the Medicine of Immortality, the Pledge of Future Resurrection, the list goes on and on and on. One of the sacraments that I think many people are not perhaps too familiar with is the Sacrament of Charity. The Sacrament of Charity. Pope Benedict actually released a document back in 2004 called Sacramentum Caritatis, which is Latin for Sacrament of Charity, all about the Mass and the Eucharist. And um, It's a very good document. If you've never, if you've never read it, I'm sure it'll fire up your, your devotion and love for the Eucharist, uh, not in just a small way. But the Sacrament of Charity is, is one of these titles for the Eucharist. Why does it have this title? Why don't we call marriage the Sacrament of Charity? Right? Certainly marriage should be about love. Why don't we call confession the Sacrament of Charity? Certainly we experience the love of Jesus in that sacrament. Why, why the Eucharist? I think in a particular way, we can point to the fact that in the Holy Eucharist, Jesus demonstrates in this sacrament three desires, if you will, three important and prominent desires that are on the heart of anyone who loves another person. And when we love someone else, we have certain desires towards that, that person. And three of them in particular. And all three of these desires are extremely prominent and present within the Holy Eucharist. The first of these is that when we love someone, we want to be with them. We want to be in their presence. We want to spend time with them. And we see this in the Holy Eucharist. The second one is that we want to make sacrifices for the person that we love. The Eucharist is the sacrifice of Jesus on Calvary, represented to us down through the ages. The the third prominent desire that's on our heart when we really love someone is that we want some kind of union with them. We want to sort of share life with them, a sort of inter-communion, if you will. And this, the, the shape that that takes depends on the type of relationship, whether it's friendship or marriage. But all three of these desires that we would have for someone we love are present in a perfect and infinite way in the heart of Jesus in the Eucharist. This is one of the big reasons why we call it the Sacrament of Charity. The first of them, the desire that He has to to be with us, to dwell with us, to to spend time with us. Uh, It's really quite amazing when you give it just 10 seconds of thought that God would have any desire whatsoever to spend time with His creatures. It it's so far exceeds what's necessary just on the surface of who God is and who His creatures are 
that it, it, it should really cause us to stop and think, to let our, our minds be expanded and our hearts full of greater gratitude, that He wants to be in our presence at all. He doesn't have to. He's God. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need our attention. He doesn't need anything from us. But He wants to be with us, to be in our presence, to dwell with us, which is amazing. <laughs> it's, it's just a, a proof of His superabundant love for you and, and for me. If you go back into the Old Testament, we see this desire all throughout salvation history. Right? We read that God walked in the garden, so to speak, with Adam and Eve. He wanted to interact with them in some way, to be present to them in some way. Later on, in the Ark of the Covenant, He wanted to dwell in the midst of His people. Later on, when He chose to become incarnate in Jesus Christ, He dwelt among us in an even more perfect way. In the Eucharist, this is just prolonged and extended, this desire of God's heart to be with us because He loves us. And with the Eucharist, one of the glorious and wonderful things about it is that no longer is God's dwelling among His people limited to one particular geographical time and place. Right? He, can, he can be present in wherever there's a tabernacle, wherever there's a priest to celebrate Mass, God comes to dwell with His people. And this is something that we should be extremely grateful for. I want to encourage you on this Corpus Christi to try and push yourself to become more aware of the burning love of Jesus for you personally that's present whenever you're within, you know, <laughs> you know 100 feet of, of, of a tabernacle. That within that tabernacle, there's a heart that's just on fire, that's just consumed with love for you and, and for me. To give an analogy, if you were to take the sun, you were to shrink it down to the size of a host, but that sun still maintained the same amount of energy and light and heat that it had at its normal size. And then if you were to change or transform the energy, light, and heat into love, and then multiply that by infinity and put it in the tabernacle, that's the love of Jesus that's there. Whenever we walk into a church, we should be keenly and poignantly aware that the tabernacle is about to explode with, with, love, with the love that's pouring forth from there, from the Eucharist. Oftentimes, I think, we too often enter churches and more our minds go to how we should be loving God and we lose all sight of the fact that He's He's been there loving us with a far more perfect and intense and, and in fact, infinite love. And so our first task, really, when we enter a church is to be aware of that, to say, my God, <laughs> how much you love me. You're there. The, I can't see it with my eyes, but the tabernacle is on fire. <laughs> it's, on, it's totally on fire. If you think about a man who let's say, has been apart from his wife for 20 years due to some difficult, unforeseen circumstances. Who knows? Uh, and he's finally on his way back to see her. It's been 20 years since he's seen his wife. And he's within two hours of, of seeing her. Imagine 
how intense in that moment his desire is to just be in the presence of his wife. That, that desire would be probably overwhelming for him. Right? He would probably be nervous, might be shaking a little bit. Take that desire, multiply it by infinity, and that's the desire of Jesus in the tabernacle, to be in your presence and in mine. And we, we need to, to know that deep, deep down in our hearts when we walk into a church. Even if you're driving on the highway and you see a Catholic church in the distance, that's where our minds should go. My God, there you are, two miles away. I can see you from, the, from where I'm at at the interstate. I, can, I see you two miles away and you are loving me with a, with a perfect love. And I, and I thank you for that. This is, this is the first part of Jesus' love for us in the Eucharist, is his desire to be with us, to dwell with us. And he does that in our tabernacles. The second way that Jesus is in the Eucharist is the sacrament of charity, is that he desires to, to sacrifice for us. And in fact, the Eucharist is his supreme sacrifice of Calvary represented on our altars. So if you were to imagine for a moment, if you had an opportunity to be present on Calvary, and you're there with Mary and John, and you see Jesus on the cross, you see everything that he's suffering for you and for the whole world, how moved would you be? You'd think to yourself, my God, like, why are you doing this? For me, do you really love me this much? You don't have to do this. Lord, you could save us in some other way. And he, he tells you from the cross, he says, sure, I could save you another way, but then you wouldn't, you wouldn't know my love. You would have no idea how much I love you. If we were there on Calvary and we had the smallest inkling of how much love was pouring forth from the cross, we would be moved to tears. We would probably fall on our knees, maybe on our face. We would be so consumed with amazement and, and gratitude for what Jesus is doing in that moment when we appreciate his love. Well, that same scenario happens at every Mass. Every Mass. At the consecration, that same fireball of love that was the heart of Jesus on the cross that comes onto our altars. We should be moved with the same intensity at Mass, at the consecration, that we would be on Calvary. We should be moved in, this, in the same way. Now there's a long tradition in the church at the moment of consecration to pray with the words of St. Thomas the Apostle, to say, my Lord and my God. Right? Many of you perhaps uh, especially if you're on the older side, perhaps you grew up being taught that as something to, to pray at the moment of consecration. Uh, I would encourage you all, I think that's a wonderful prayer to pray at that moment in the Mass. You might even add a couple, if I can be so bold, you might even add a couple words to it. Say, my Lord and my God, how much you, how much you love me. You know, what, it wasn't enough for you to sacrifice yourself on Calvary and then to transmit the effects of that sacrifice to us until the end of time. You wanted more than that, Jesus. You wanted, to, you wanted to prolong the sacrifice itself. 
You didn't just want us to experience the effects that you had won with that sacrifice. You want us to experience the sacrifice. So you establish this way in which we can participate in it even daily. But we can be moved in the same way as if we were on Calvary. So I'd encourage you, particularly in the Eucharistic prayer, and especially at the consecration, really try in that moment not only to adore the Lord, but to realize the love that is just emanating from the altar in that moment of the Mass. And I'm always uh, pretty moved. Sometimes if Father Johnson's celebrating Mass, and I'm sort of like out in the narthex before Mass, like greeting people or, or chatting or whatever, sometimes I'm out there lingering for so long that before I realize it, uh, the Eucharistic prayer has started and, and Father Johnson's already at that part of the Mass. And I'm always moved to see so many of you that have young kids that are back in the, in the narthex area. Every, everybody kneels, you know, during the Eucharistic prayer. Um, just trying, even with, you know, a wrestling match that may be going on, you're still trying to, still trying to focus on, on this, the supreme moment of the Mass and, and the love of Jesus there. I just want to I mean, encourage you all to continue, continue making those little sacrifices, to, especially to teach your kids, but also to stir your own hearts to, to love of the Lord at, at that moment of the Mass. Finally, so we have, when we love somebody, we want to be with them, we want to sacrifice for them. Finally, we want, we want to share life with them. We want some sort of union or communion with that person. Now, when this comes to friendship, this union is primarily a spiritual one. It's what you might call a union of wills, where we, we try and pursue the same types of things. When it comes to marriage, marriage consists of that element, but the additional union of the marital act. There's a, there's a physical element so that the union is complete. It's the whole person. Right? And when it comes to the union that Jesus in the Eucharist desires to have with us, it's more like that marital union than like the union of mere friendship. Which, again, is something that, if you really gave it serious thought for 10 seconds, should just completely and totally blow you away. That God would want that kind of union with you and me. That it's not enough for Him to love us from the tabernacle. He's like, my love for you is, is so intense, that's not enough. It's not enough. I want to come and be in you. <laughs> I want not only a spiritual union with you, but a corporeal one, a bodily one. And so I'm going to turn myself into food so that you can eat me. And then nothing will come between us. I'm going to share with you a quote from... Uh, St. John Chrysostom in this regard. I may have shared this before. I've always been moved by this quote. He's putting words into the mouth of Jesus to, and, and Jesus is speaking about why he wants to become the Eucharist to be united with us in Holy Communion. So imagine these words coming from the Lord. He says, For you, speaking to each of us, For you I was covered with spit and beaten I stripped myself of my glory. I left my Father and I came to you. To you who hated me, who fled from me, who did not even wish to hear my name. I followed you and I ran after you. I caught hold of you and embraced you. Eat me, I said, and drink me. 
It is not enough that I should possess a body like you. That does not satisfy my love. I come once more to the earth, not just to dwell with you, but to entwine myself in you. I am eaten, I am broken into pieces, in order that this fusion and this union may be more intimate. I want nothing to come between us. I wish the two to become one. At the glory of being united with Jesus in Holy Communion is they're the most precious moments of our life. And it lasts for about 10 minutes. It's important for us to know that. As until the Eucharist has completely dissolved within us, we have a, a substantial union with God. It's different than the indwelling of the Trinity. I've talked about that the past couple weeks and Sunday and at daily Masses. The union we have with God if we're in a state of grace is real, but it's not as complete as the union we have with Him in those 10 minutes after receiving communion. When I was driving, I just got back from vacation a couple days ago, and this is the last thing I'll leave you with. When I was driving back on some rural, like, county road in Illinois, I was thinking about this feast day, kind of what I wanted to say, and uh, a thought occurred to me, you know how in medieval times they had all these different guilds or confraternities that were devoted to different crafts or sometimes different sort of uh, devotions? I thought it would be kind of neat to establish a guild called the, uh, the Ten Minute Guild, where, uh, or the Ten Minute Confraternity, where you commit to, for the rest of your life, anytime you receive Holy Communion, to just like going all in on those ten minutes. <laughs> to say, I'm not going to waste even ten seconds uh, of opportunity to love God and receive His love in those 10 minutes after I receive Holy Communion, because those are the most precious of my whole life. Right here at, at Good Council, normally by the time we get done with the chaplet, depending on if you were early to receive communion or the last person, you're probably around like, I would say the, the eight or nine minute mark. <laughs> so you probably don't have much time left with Jesus. Even still, just to be safe, it'd probably be a good idea to commit to staying after the chaplet's done for another couple minutes just to make sure that we don't lose any of those, any of those precious seconds with, with, with the Lord who's substantially present in our soul. In conclusion, uh, on this drive back as well, I was listening to the radio Christian station and this song came on that I hadn't heard of and I hadn't heard in like, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. Some of you are probably familiar with it. It's, it's, uh, it says, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. You can have all the world, but give me Jesus. It's a very simple song, often, often taught to, to children. And man, what, a, what great words to tell the Lord today on this feast. Uh, you know, Lord, give me yourself <laughs> in the Eucharist. Give me you. I don't need, any, I don't need anything else. <laughs> I don't need anything else. Just, just give me yourself in the Holy Eucharist.